0: morning we're reading from the gospel according to saint mark chapter 1 beginning in verse 40 today a leper came to him begging him and kneeling he said to him if you choose you can make me clean moved with pity jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him i do choose be made clean immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean After sternly warning him, he sent him away at once, saying to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the word, so that Jesus could no longer go into a town openly, but stayed out in the country, and people came to him from every quarter. This is the word of life. There were three religious leaders sitting one day on an outside veranda having a very animated and dramatic discussion. The Roman Catholic priest said, The best way to pray is kneeling. I tell you, kneeling is the best way. We have a long tradition to verify this. The Orthodox priest said, well, I must disagree. We have an equally long tradition, and we have found that standing in front of an icon is the better way to pray and engages more of the brain and the body. The Protestant pastor listened carefully, and then he said, while I respect you both, I must disagree as well. We have many denominations, and they have all found for modern people The best way to pray and praise God is to stand and sing great music with clear theology. And then they heard a voice from above say, hey, fellas. And they looked up, not to find God, but a cable repairman up on the pole. And he said, I'll tell you, the best praying I've ever done was when I was hanging upside down from one of these poles. faith prayer can be most vital when we have an immediate need when we have a felt need when we really feel like we need to turn to God because we're in a circumstance that we cannot handle and we need more power or more sustenance or more presence of the holy or the divine in our lives if you're in need of healing, if you're struggling with a disease or a health crisis, often you're in that situation where you're asking God, or as the text said, kneeling or begging God to heal you. Sometimes that happens, and sometimes it does not. But whether you're in a health crisis or not right now, this story from Mark gives us an opportunity to reflect on the role of God in our life and how we experience God and how we communicate with God as we go through our days of living. Let me remind you, we've been working through this gospel of Mark. We're still in chapter 1. We have covered several Sundays, though, where Mark begins to unpack this story. Remember, though, the very first verse, he tells us what he's planning to do. Do you remember that? He says, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's getting ready to tell us the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's making a proclamation in that very first verse. Then he begins to tell us how Jesus had an association with John the baptizer and went out into the wilderness and received baptism. Lived in the wilderness for a while, clarifying his call. And then in verse 15, he tells us that Jesus begins his ministry with this. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. So this is his main message The kingdom of God or the presence of God, the rule of God is upon us, is available to us. But the key for us is to repent or to turn and believe in the good news that God is with us or that God is near. Then after that, Mark tells us that Jesus begins to call disciples. And then he tells us three stories in a row where there is a healing of sorts. The first one you'll remember if you were here a few weeks ago, there was a man with an unclean spirit. The next one, they went to Simon's house and his mother-in-law was there with a fever and Jesus went into her and lifted her up, Mark says, and she was healed and got up and began to serve them. And then the third one is the one we read today where a man with a skin disease has come to Jesus and asked to be healed and Jesus heals him. But then there's this curious feature in verse 44 where Mark says that Jesus sternly instructs this man who's just been healed in this way, see that you say nothing to anyone. See that you say nothing to anyone. He's supposed to go and do a few other things that the Jewish law commanded for someone to be made clean. But obviously the fellow doesn't listen to what Jesus says because Mark records this about that guy in verse 45 but he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the word so that jesus could no longer go into a town openly but had to stay out in the countryside he creates some problems for jesus in the way he's planning to do his ministry he disobeys what jesus says and create such a stir that Jesus can no longer go from town to town to proclaim his message. But that brings up the second problem. If Jesus is wanting to proclaim the kingdom of God has come near to as many as possible, why would he instruct the man to say nothing? Wouldn't he want the fellow going out and proclaiming it freely? But as you read through the gospel of Mark, you find this prohibition Several times where Jesus does something remarkable or miraculous and then tells the observers not to say a word, not to tell anyone. It seems that so easily humans get caught up in the spectacular and the physical manifestation of God's power that they focus just on that. And it seems Jesus wants to be known as more than just a physical healer or a miracle worker. Jesus is pointing them to the spiritual power beyond Him, the power of God. Jesus wants them to focus not just on the physical healing, but the spiritual power at work. It seems that we as humans so often miss the point and focus just on the physical and forget the spiritual. So there's an emphasis not just on the personal healing alone but the kingdom of god or the rule of god that it proclaims if you will and in fact if you read through the gospel of mark and listen to what jesus says the proper focus is not even on jesus himself but is on god working through him he's always pointing people beyond the physical manifestation of what he's done to the spiritual reality behind it Jesus does not want the healing to be front and center, partly because so many misunderstand it. You'll notice that as you go through the Gospel of Mark, particularly people who encounter him once seem to misunderstand what he's all about. But it's not only those who have encountered him once. It's also his disciples, those who he's called to be with him Basically, continuously, those 12 disciples and the others traveling with Jesus seem to misunderstand time after time after time. They keep wondering what Jesus is doing, and they start to go this way, and he says, no, this way. He does something, and they start to interpret. He says, no, not that. They don't seem to grasp all that he wants them to grasp or to understand what he wants them to understand about who he is and what he understands his call from God to be this role of Messiah. The gospel seems to be saying that only after his suffering, death, and resurrection will we be able to understand all that he means. And these disciples only have that fuller understanding, as Mark tells it, after Those experiences. That is, Jesus' most profound revelation and show of God's power comes through suffering and death. We typically want that to be through triumphant times. But as the gospel tells it, the most profound revelation involves Jesus' suffering and death. I think we can see this a little clearer later in the gospel. Over in chapter 9 is the story of the transfiguration. You will remember that story. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on a mountain, and then there's a cloud that overshadows them, and his clothes become dazzling white, and he's illuminated, if you will. And then they hear a voice that says, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And the three disciples want to stay there, build some tabernacles, have a celebration. But instead, Jesus says, we've got to go back down the mountain. And then in verse 9 of chapter 9, hear what Jesus says, as they were coming down the mountain. He ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Awfully the pro, often the prohibition is just not to tell anyone. But finally in chapter 9, Jesus gives further instructions and says until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. It seems that we won't have a full understanding of who Jesus is and what God is doing through him until we understand the death and the resurrection of Jesus. See, God works in different ways. We want it always to be the same way, but it doesn't always turn out in life the same way. God's power is shown sometimes through changing the circumstances. As the story from Mark tells us today where the person's skin disease was healed and immediately he was healed right on the spot. At other times, God's power is shown through redeeming devastating circumstances after the fact rather than in the moment of need or the moment of crisis. It can happen either way. We're getting ready to move into the season of Lent. This 40-day period of preparation, of examination, of reflection It's supposed to be a period of penitence or repentance where we look at our lives and examine who we are and how we're living and if we're really following Christ as we have felt called to do or we have professed that we will, and then making any adjustments to be a more faithful follower of His. Oh, it started as a time of fasting before Easter, then moved to 40 hours, but finally moved to those 40 days, paralleling the time that Christ was in the wilderness. Fasting, the Bible tells us, discerning His call of God, clarifying His identity and His purpose, and preparing Himself to follow the call of God that he felt upon his own life. But at the very end of this season of Lent, the last week we call Holy Week, we get to those passages from the Gospel that talk about those dark days of Jesus as he's moving into Jerusalem and where he begins to realize this really could be terrible, that this is not going to end well. He asked God to take that suffering, to take the cup of suffering from him. But he ends up saying, oh, not my will, but thine be done. Do you remember that passage? He and the disciples are in the garden of Gethsemane. I want to read just a few verses of how Mark tells that story in the 14th chapter, verse 32 through 36. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here. and Keep awake. Going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I want, but what you want. I think it's fair to say that even in Jesus' darkest days, even in his darkest hours, He experienced God as present with him. And in fact, leading him in his next step. We so often think that God is only with us us when we're experiencing the good times and the blessings. And that's a sign of God's presence. But the gospel paints a very different picture. That indeed God is with us even in our darkest days. Even when things don't go the way we ask, Jesus asked for the cup of suffering to pass from him, but he does not get what he asked for in that prayer. As we read through those passages every year during Holy Week, I find myself acutely aware of my own death. None of us are going to get out alive If Jesus did not escape it, neither will we. We all have to face the fragility and the finality of what death means in terms of our own human bodily existence. Yet as Christians, our faith gives us an alternative to dread and despair. Our scriptures, our stories of Jesus, not only tell us about His suffering and death, but also about His resurrection. Not only about the dark days, but about the triumphant days. We've been using this same affirmation of faith called the Canadian Statement of Faith. It's in your bulletin. We've read it week after week during this season. It proclaims that we trust in God. But then those last few sentences to me are so powerful it says we proclaim jesus crucified and risen our judge and our hope in life in death in life beyond death god is with us we are not alone thanks be to god we believe as christians that we can experience god and know god is alive in our lives Whether we're on the mountaintop or down in the valley, whether it's the best of times or the worst of times, we believe that God is with us. This whole sermon series for these last several weeks, we've been looking at what does it mean for us to experience God in our own time, in our own lives. Several of our lay people have come and shared that experience in their lives, whether it was good or not how they had come to know God as alive and personal in their lives. We talked about the spiritual journey in the very first sermon and sort of the stages or the steps we might experience if we're going on a spiritual journey and how to recognize God with us in that. We've talked about how to discern the next step, that if God is moving us into the future, then there's a next step for us to take. And we talked about how do we discern that? How do we recognize where God is leading us? We talked about the importance of the Christian community and gathering with brothers and sisters in Christ that we understand Scripture best best, and we discern God's leading best when we're in a community of others where we talk and pray and live and discern together. We talked about the importance of repenting and believing, that repentance or that turning away from some things to turn toward God and believing that God is near And that God wants to work in our lives. And we talked on a couple of Sundays about the role of prayer. And how important it is to have an ongoing prayer, dialogue, or conversation with God. If we want to experience God as alive and vital in our lives. All of those encouraging us to believe the good news. That the kingdom of God is near. Friday afternoon, I was with a family that had an association with Boston Avenue years ago when they lived in Tulsa. They have moved away, but now had come a time of death for a family member, and they were coming back to Tulsa to do the funeral. They chose Psalm 23, as so many families do, as part of that funeral service. It has brought comfort and hope and faith to so many across the ages. But in preparation for the funeral and thinking about this sermon, I began to look in my different versions of the Bible at Psalm 23 and how they translated it. I want to share just a portion of one of the more contemporary versions. It sounds different than the King James Version or the Revised Standard Version or any of the others. But I thought it was really very helpful. Let me read just a couple of verses to you. Remember, this is addressed to God. You... Treat me to a feast while my enemies watch. You honor me as your guest. And you fill my cup until it overflows. Can you see that is a scene of God hosting us. We are the guest. God is nourishing us. God is bringing us food. God is serving us even in our hardest times. Can you visualize that? That God would... Bring you food, that God would fill up your water glass, that God would nourish you personally. And then the last verse says this Your kindness and love will always be with me each day of my life. And I will live forever in your house, O Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God.